It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. We'd all seen it coming for months, and yet, when it actually happened... It still felt quite surreal. Donald Trump is running for president once again. He made the announcement tonight at his estate in Florida, telling supporters that he will run again and filing paperwork with the Federal Election Commission to make it official. And just like that, Donald Trump is back dominating news cycles like he never left. The reaction to Tuesday's hour-long announcement, though, was perhaps not what Trump was expecting. I will tell you, this crowd at Mar-a-Lago, chock full of Trump loyalists through and through, was restless. There were long periods of time where there were no applause, no shouts back to Trump. Leading up to the announcement, the mood among some conservative commentators was even less enthusiastic. We have to consider a whole new mess that's probably coming our way if we have a Trump announcement this week. If we're thinking we're divided now, wait until Donald Trump's name is back in the running. What is his vision for 2024? Is it, I'm back? Because that's not a vision to me. I wrote an open letter to Donald Trump this morning on my Substack that says, please, Mr. President, don't run again. But anyone who remembers 2016 will know that you'd be a fool to write Trump off too quickly. A third bid for the White House might make some in his party groan, but the real question is, can he win? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, Donald Trump's third run. I'm Ben Hoyle. I edit the foreign pages for The Sunday Times newspaper. Prior to that... I was based in Los Angeles for six years as West Coast Bureau Chief for The Times, in which capacity I watched the rise of Donald Trump and the full exhausting four years of the presidency of Donald Trump and his final defeat in the election of 2020. But maybe it wasn't so final, Ben. Take us, <laughs> take us back to last Tuesday night. What happened? And on behalf of Melania, myself, and our entire family, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. It's a very special occasion at a very special place. So last Tuesday at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's country club residence in Palm Beach in Florida, in the main ballroom amidst loads of balloons and a room festooned with American flags in front of 
a large crowd of devoted supporters underneath big chandeliers. Donald Trump announced the worst kept secret in US politics, which was that he was going to run again for president. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Many other people in his party and in the rest of American politics would have looked at the scene with something like dread as to what it was going to lead to next. about the speech. What kind of things did he say and and how did he deliver it? Well, Trump spoke for about an hour and the biggest surprise of the speech was really the energy level. You'll remember back in 2015 when Trump first arrived on the scene, he made great capital out of the fact that his main opponent at the time, Jeb Bush, was low energy. Trump branded him as low energy and that was really what destroyed Jeb Bush's candidacy before it really got going. Trump, by contrast, was the most charismatic man in right-wing politics at the time. Build a wall! We're going to build a wall! We're going to build a wall! We're building a wall. Now, the politicians, you know, they're all talk, they're no action. Building the wall, some of them said the other day, oh, you can't build a wall. Mexico will never pay. They're making a fortune off us. They, if, the right, if you have the right messenger, which will be me, they will pay for that wall and they'll say, thank you. Thank you very much. And it's going to get built. Last Tuesday, it was nothing like that. He was really flat and almost despondent sounding. He was reading off an auto cue for much of the speech. We turned the page on decades of globalist sellouts and one-sided trade deals lifted millions out of poverty, and together we built the greatest economy in the history of the world. When the virus hit our shores, I took decisive action and saved lives and the U.S. economy. And by October of the same year, America was roaring back with the number one fastest economic recovery ever recorded. How about that? He basically positioned it as a nostalgic wind back through what he would present as the great achievements of his four years in office and a vision of how badly America's gone off the rails under Joe Biden in the last year and a half. But there were some novel and surprising suggestions for what he might do if he gets back into power, particularly his suggestion that he wants to execute drug dealers based on a discussion of summary justice with China's President Xi. In China, when I was with President Xi, I said, President, do you have a drug problem? No, 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 we don't. He looked at me like I didn't know what I was doing. He said, uh, no, we don't have a drug. How come you don't have a drug problem? He said, quick trial. What is a quick trial? Quick, I sort of knew. What is a quick trial? That's where, if you get caught dealing drugs, you have an immediate and quick trial, and by the end of the day, you're executed. That's a terrible thing. But they have no drug problem. He also spoke about colonizing Mars. We will expand the frontiers of human knowledge and extend the horizons of human achievement. And we will plant our beautiful American flag very soon on the surface of Mars, which I got started. 
Ben, you say this announcement was the worst kept secret, but in some ways it was a bit unexpected so soon after a midterm election that didn't go very well in Trump terms. Can you give us a quick summary of what happened in those midterms? Yes, saying it was the worst kept secret. I mean, there was some late speculation that perhaps Trump would be persuaded by those around him to delay his announcement in the light of what happened the week earlier. So Trump had positioned this before the midterm election, said he was going to make this incredibly important announcement. At the time, it looked like what he was hoping to do was to capitalize on a red wave, a spectacular raft of Republican victories in the midterm elections. Instead, what happened was that Republicans massively underperformed expectations in those elections. They lost a collection of really important governor's races. And they also, whilst they regained the House of Representatives, they got it back by only the tightest of margins. And the party effectively blamed Donald Trump for saddling them with terrible candidates that cost them winnable races. There's a really strong correlation between candidates that Trump backed and defeats that the Republicans suffered. Ever since he rose to prominence, Trump has inserted himself into local and statewide political races across America to a really unusual extent. As president, he repeatedly sort of put his finger on the scale of elections all over the country in a way that we haven't really seen from previous presidents. And Trump was incredibly proud of his success rate in backing candidates whose main distinguishing characteristic tended to be absolute loyalty to Donald Trump. And for a while, it seemed to work, but increasingly, he seems to be losing his touch He always inflated the numbers by backing lots of candidates in seats that they were guaranteed to win. So it padded out the numbers. But in really contested elections, lately we've seen Trump-backed candidates do disastrously badly with a general electorate. So it's safe to say that Trump candidates did not do so well in those midterms. How has Trump responded to those results? What has he said? Well, you'll be amazed to know that as far as Trump's concerned, it's everybody else's fault that the party did badly in those midterms. Well, I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. Okay, but it'll probably be just the opposite. He points to the large number of candidates that he sponsored who succeeded, which is mostly in safe Republican seats. He says that where candidates lost, it's because they didn't lean hard enough into his election denialism, into claiming that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. Essentially, he thinks they weren't extreme enough. Absolutely. So how have other Republicans responded? Um, Even before the elections, some of the other leaders in the party had expressed real concern about the predicament that they found themselves in as a result of Donald Trump's continued grip on the Republican Party. Most notably, Mitch McConnell, the very wily leader of the Republicans in the Senate, had spoken about how candidate quality was really key to claiming back the Senate. And it was pretty obvious that what he meant was that the quality of the candidates backed by Donald Trump meant that they were going to struggle more than they should have done to reclaim the Senate. And that's exactly what came to pass. Since the election, other big figures in the party have really condemned Trump's contribution. The biggest cause for the disappointment are the Donald Trump-endorsed candidates. Most notably, Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey. 
it wasn't a good night for Donald Trump. And whether he wants to admit it or not, which he won't, it was a bad night for him. And Republicans got a choice, party of me or the party of us. Subsequent to the election as well, it's not just the big figures in the Republican Party. It's also some of the biggest donors to the Republican Party, several donors who've been historically really, really close to Trump and had big influence over the Trump White House have announced that they're now pulling out of investing in Trump and will be looking to back other possible presidential nominees for the 2024 cycle. And also the media, Rupert Murdoch, whose company is the ultimate owner of the Times and Sunday Times, some of his media organizations in the United States have been very conspicuously turning against Donald Trump in the last couple of weeks with strong editorials advising Republicans and voters that really the Trump experiment has run its course and that other candidates would have more chance of delivering for America. With all of that in mind, Ben, is there anyone in the Republican establishment that can actually stop him from running, do you think? There isn't. And because of the way that American politics is structured, there's really no hierarchical system whereby anybody is in a position to tap Trump on the shoulder and stop him from aiming for the presidency again. There's plenty of people in the party that would dearly love to do exactly that. But no, there's nobody that can stop him. And trying to convince Trump that he can't win the Republican faithful is going to be quite a mission. Why do you think he's running again? Well, I mean, I think to answer that, you probably need to consult a psychologist, a lawyer, a historian, and possibly you'd even need to talk to someone with close knowledge of Trump's finances. The most plausible explanation is that Trump believes that there is unfinished business here, that he was the rightful winner of the 2020 election, and he wants to see justice restored, see himself back in the White House where he believes he currently belongs. Everything we know about his personality suggests that he loves acclaim, he loves a big stage, he's never happier than when he's in the spotlight, and you know, whole days go by without Donald Trump being the center of the media universe, which for five years of American life, he absolutely was that. And lastly, there's the legal aspect. Trump's facing a whole range of different legal cases at the moment. He's being pursued by the Department of Justice on various counts and by the Attorney General's office in New York. And whilst running for president wouldn't technically give him any protection from those cases, he would get that protection if he became president. But running for president wouldn't give him protection from those legal cases. But it would make it a lot easier for him to present himself as a victim of a political attempt to silence him to reframe all of those prosecutions as politically motivated rather than just sit and be a target for them, which is Mm. what he is at the moment. So basically, running for president is both good for the ego and good for potentially getting out of trouble. Absolutely. And for all we know, also potentially good for his business empire. His business affairs are famously opaque, but he was not shy about exploiting his time in office to maintain the brand, the Trump brand globally. And maybe he feels that it would benefit from another injection of presidential glamour.
Coming up, we know why Trump wants to run again, but could he actually win? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Katie Prescott, The Times' technology business editor, and my job is to get under the skin of the technology, telecoms and media industries for the paper and bring the views of their top executives to readers. I can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ben, we've talked about how he's announced that he's running for president. We've talked about why he might be running But the big question is, can he win? First of all, let's start with the first hurdle, the primary race. Tell us about who might be challenging him. Well, I mean, the most obvious name is Ron DeSantis. Well, thank you so much. The governor of Florida, who was himself re-elected with a spectacular landslide victory two Tuesdays ago on the night that Republicans underperformed across much of the country. DeSantis did brilliantly, and he didn't just do brilliantly with the Republican faithful. Now, we're still uh, tallying the votes, but it's clearly apparent that this election, we will have garnered a significant number of votes from people who may not have voted for me four years ago. And I just want to let you know, I am honored to have earned your trust and your support over these four years. He also managed to appeal to swing voters to secure the votes of suburban women, to do extremely well with Hispanic voters. These are key demographic groups that any prospective presidential nominee would need to be able to appeal to in 2024. He's a very adept political tactician. Trump likes to say that he made DeSantis, that without his support, DeSantis would never have made it to be governor in the first place, which 
possibly is true. But since becoming governor, and particularly since Trump left the White House, DeSantis has leaned away from him. He's been careful to avoid going on the record about whether he thinks the election was stolen. He's been less and less enthusiastic about Trump in recent months without ever really offending Trump's base. Meanwhile, he's focused very successfully on becoming the party's preeminent culture warrior that isn't Donald Trump. DeSantis has been really effective at mining culture war territory. We we signed a bill called the Parents' Rights in Education, which said, you know, we are not going to be injecting things like gender ideology into our elementary schools. We're not going to be teaching some six-year-old kid that they may have been born in the wrong body. That's not going to happen. He's a good speaker who also seems more pragmatic, perhaps, than Donald Trump is now, less willing to embrace some of the wilder conspiracy theories on the American right. Donald Trump is good at smelling a threat. What has he said about Ron DeSantis? Well, the week of the midterms, Trump unloaded on DeSantis through his social media platform, Truth Social. He has branded DeSantis quite effectively and even amusingly as Ron DeSanctimonious. Ron DeSanctimonious. He threatened DeSantis in a sort of mafia boss kind of way, suggesting that DeSantis needed to be very careful what he was getting himself into, and that the implication was that if DeSantis was to run for president against him, then Trump said that he knew all sorts of things about DeSantis, including things that probably only DeSantis' wife knows about him. So uh, really a threat to dish the dirt on DeSantis in a big way if if DeSantis gets into the race. And as Trump demonstrated in 2015, he was brutal about how he took down his opponents. I mean, he prides himself on being a street fighter and was incredibly effective at just bulldozing aside seasoned politicians who had been waiting for years for their opportunity to run to president, and Trump just flattened the entire field. So DeSantis will know that if he was to run against Trump, he is letting himself in for an extremely painful trial by combat. I know it's early days, but what's your reading of things? Do you think Trump has a chance of winning the primary? I think Trump has a good chance of winning the primary. Purely because of his track record and experience, you might even say that at this stage he was still the favourite to win the primary. The reasons why he might not win, well, firstly, the polling suggests that in a few key states, DeSantis has pulled ahead of Trump. We also haven't seen what would happen when mainstream conservative media starts really strongly backing a candidate other than Trump against Trump that could tilt the way that voters think. Trump is also not the candidate he was back in 2015, 2016. He was, you know, an insurrection, a breath of fresh air, an insurgent candidate with a, a really distinctive message, the sort of thrill of being someone from outside the world of politics. He made clear in his speech at the ballroom last Tuesday that he was keen to, again, depict himself as a sort of insurgent candidate going to take the fight to Washington. But the truth is he's now running on a track record that he can't escape from. He's been in American public life for all this time. He's been president for four years. That makes it harder. But I think you'd be unwise to bet against Trump with the Republican faithful just because he does command so much personal loyalty amongst so many Republican voters. The question is whether 
even if they still in their hearts adore President Trump, whether their heads, which perhaps have started to realize that he can't command the national majority anymore, whether their heads have started to overrule their hearts. Ben, let's assume for the moment that Donald Trump does win the nomination. It's pretty much unprecedented in modern times for a former president who lost re-election to come back and, and run again. What challenges is he going to be facing on the campaign trail this time? So unlike the two previous times that he's run for president, he would have to come through, well, it looks like he would have to come through a Republican primary with at least one, if not more, really tough opponents. He also has hanging over him the specter of the legal challenges that he's facing, which, whilst they might not put off the Republican faithful, are quite likely to concern swing voters. Another way in which Trump is different now from the candidate that he was on his two previous runs for the presidency is that he's now been impeached twice, which is extraordinarily unusual. And most importantly, the legacy of January the 6th, which obviously followed his last attempt to become president, that, I think, changed the perception of Trump in the minds of many voters. He was clearly central to uh, the protest taking place in the first place on January the 6th. But then when they attacked the Capitol subsequently, as that unfolded and Americans watched that take place for hours, Trump failed to condemn what they were doing. And indeed, in the year and a half that's passed since then, he still hasn't condemned what happened, those scenes at the Capitol, which appalled many Americans and even many Trump voters. And so I think that makes him a materially different candidate in 2024. To vote for Trump back into the White House in 2024, you would have to believe that the attack on the Capitol was not an insurrection, was really just a legitimate type of protest. And you'd have to disregard the fact that to much of the rest of the world and to many Americans, it looked like a really alarming breakdown of the rule of law and democracy. And in foreign affairs, obviously Trump was unusually supportive of President Putin at various key mm. moments during his time as president and unabashedly admired Putin's approach to leadership, both as a candidate for president and as president. That now looks rather different in the light of the war in Ukraine. And then the last thing is, inescapably, Trump is much older than he was last time he ran for the presidency, not as an incumbent. The zest of a 70-something sounds ridiculous. He, he, <laughs> but he was, he was a very energetic campaigner. And mm. it's hard to imagine him recapturing that spirit now. I know I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here, but were he to win the Republican nomination, who do you think he would be facing off against? Well, the most likely candidate by far is the president, because it would be historically extremely unusual for President Biden to decide not to run for a second term. Every president since Lyndon Johnson has at least attempted to run for a second term in office. Joe Biden also has now got a reasonably successful midterm elections under his belt that have really defied history. So Biden has some wind in his sails. He has achievements that he can tout. On the other hand, Biden's approval ratings are very low, well below 50%. And inescapably, I mean, we've mentioned Trump's age, but Biden is getting really very old. I think if he won a second term and served the whole of it, he would be 86 when he left office. 
So it's possible that people around Biden will say to him that the best service that you can do to your party is to step gracefully aside and create the space to have a real contest to succeed you. So I think it's possible that it won't be Biden. If it's not going to be Biden, what does the substitutes bench look like for the Democrats? There's been a lot of concern over this, but I think that that's a lot to do with the fact that we were at an early stage of the election cycle. So unsurprisingly, a lot of familiar names kept being brought up. People like Kamala Harris, the vice president, who has really struggled to make an impact and struggled to build any real appeal with voters. The transport secretary, Pete Buttigieg, who ran a brilliant campaign for the presidency when he was in his mid-30s two years ago. But I think what's happened with the midterm elections two weeks ago is that you've seen that actually there is fresh talent in the Democrat ranks, really impressive fresh talent that would potentially be able to carry a really powerful message into a general election. One way or another, when historians look back at this period of American politics, it's going to be seen as the Trump era. Trump completely rewrote the rulebook of American politics. He consumed media attention and dominated conversations in American families and American bars around dinner tables for years and years and years. Already, his candidacy is dominating conversation about the 2024 elections, and it's likely to do that up until the 2024 face-off between whoever the Republican nominee is and whoever the Democrat nominee is, because even if Trump isn't one of those people, both candidates are still going to be defining themselves against the shadow that Trump has cast over American politics. So I think one way or another, we're still very much in the Trump epoch. We don't know if there's a truly astounding comeback and final act still in store in 2024, but we do know that we're still very much in that world. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, Assistant Foreign News Editor at The Sunday Times, Ben Hoyle. You can find all of our US coverage at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by John Scott. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.